we're open, but then we're also skeptical, right? So those duality, the feelings of both opposite emotions can actually exist. All right, well, I'm gonna say yes to this thing, yet I don't know if, I don't know if I could trust that person. Well, we're saying we're curious, but we're also reserved. Welcome to the New Age Sage Podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. Today's guest is Dr. Neetha Bhushan. Her brand new book, That Sucked, Now What?, is out wherever you get books. I love this book. I've read a lot of books. This one was especially good, so please get it. Please like and subscribe if you haven't already, and enjoy today's episode because it was a very good one. Thank you. Neetha. Welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so stoked that we're doing it. Thanks for having me. No problem. So I've, I've read a lot of self-help books as you know, most people in this space have. And your book was definitely on the top because it was so fucking real. I think a lot of self-help books uh, ignore the reality of healing. They ignore the pain. They ignore the sucks. Right? Where I wanted to start is like, why in your book do you choose to make the suck the core of it? And why is the suck so important in our healing journey? Oh, ooh, so good. Okay, we're going to start here, Lucas. Okay. Um, you know, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be light because so often when we're going through the healing journey, the pain, we actually don't want to go through it. Yeah. It's too hard. So we numb, we avoid, we escape, we shove it under a rug, we deny it. You know, we're like, I'm fine, I'm okay. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to dive in it. But I know that that's exactly what everyone's thinking. Mm -hmm. That sucked. Yeah. And I wanted to give permission for that sucked, whatever sucked, to actually live, to have breathing space, to have that space to actually be. So that then when we normalize whatever sucked, that it's not going to be shameful or as shameful or guilt-ridden or judgment around diving into the work around it because we read a book and the the book said we had to be a certain way or the rabbi said I have to be a certain way or that mentor that you or advisor that you look up to said no you you've you know I I want the best for you and the best is well we've got to act a certain way. Yeah. And so we deny literally and, and suppress and squash down what we're really feeling, which is literally our humanity. Yeah. So I'm actually giving permission for people to let that humanity breathe. And sometimes it is painful. Sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes it's not the most high frequency, high vibe emotions. Yeah. But I think there's a place for all of those. And we can kind of even look at it from what even Disney and Pixar is putting out in t terms of like the types of movies that are getting created to actually say, hey, let's embrace the feels, you know, yeah. Inside Out was one example of that. Yeah. Right. And then I don't know if you just saw this one just came out um, a few months ago, and I think it's already up for some awards, Turning Red. I haven't seen it, but oh, I'll check it out. It's such a good one. It's such a good one because it talks about generational trauma mm -hmm. and it talks about, you know, just kind of some of the things that the main premise of this actual movie is is so good because when this little girl, I forget her name is, I think it's Mylin. When Mylin gets really angry or she, you know, has a really big feeling, she's like laughing hysterically or really sad or depressed, she turns into a big red panda. And that big red panda that you can't really avoid, you can't hide, like so big. And she actually falls in love basically with this part of herself. 
but it's the same thing that her mom was cursed for her grandmother and like everyone in this lineage. So she, you know, has to go through these rituals where they pray for her and all these things so that they can shun this red panda. But what that would mean is that she's always going to be stoic and, you know, emotionally perfect and all of these things. And she's never really allowed to express then the truest sense of, of, of what we're meant to express in our emotions, right? And so uh, her journey is to kind of own her voice and speak up to the generations before her, her grandmother and her mom, to actually say, hey, the little child in you actually wants to express her big red panda. So it was a really beautiful um, movie that, that really talks about it on a basic level. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of summarize that perspective is that on the other side of suck, which you don't want to feel, there's the reward of new meaning, of of a new perspective or new side of yourself that it's discovered to then transcend into a different reality. How was that for you? When did you first realize that, that embracing the suck actually led to you developing a new side of yourself that you had to see and become? Wow. I mean, so when I actually first recognized all of the healing that I had to do, this was probably 11 years ago. This was after my first like really big breakup. And it was my, it was my first marriage. And, you know, I thought like I had fallen in love and, you know, it was, I was, I was like, all right, I've, I've gone through a lot of things before that, Mm -hmm. which we'll get into. And I thought that, you know, for the longest time, love was going to save me. And, you know, love would be my ticket out of my big sorrows that I was trying to really hide and really shove under that rug. But what really needed to happen, and it definitely came up full surface and in full throttle in this relationship, was me allowing myself to focus on me and actually start with self-love. And I would get into the most toxic relationship that would really bring up to the surface about what my biggest and greatest fear was, which was the fear of being alone. Because, you know, a decade before then, I actually lost, you know, my mom, my dad, and my brother all before I was 19. Yeah, thank you. And, and, you know, the amount, the, the insurmountable amount of pain in going through, you know, the loss of pretty much my whole family before I was 19 and, and then getting into my twenties thinking, I don't want anybody to feel bad for me. I had a younger brother that I had to take care of who was five years younger than me. So, you know, I literally had these chips on my shoulder and these chips on my shoulder were, nope, I'm going to overwork. I'm going to overcompensate. I'm going to do all these things. And you know what? I'm going to recreate a whole identity for myself where nobody then won't feel bad because, you know, this new identity that I'm going to create is going to be so far from the one that everyone feels bad for, the one that where she feels broken, where where she feels like, you know, she's never going to heal but that's the exact little girl that needed to. And so fast forward to that big major suck, I would have to gain everything in my power and my courage to actually say, no, this isn't right. Where my life was actually threatened by this person that I thought I loved, where I needed to actually take everything in the middle of the night haphazardly, leave 
that house yep. that I knew and leave pretty much that life where, you know, kind of like on the outside, I was a cosmetic dentist. So I had all of these like check marks of success. I was not even 30. I had a team that was working under me. But then, you know, when I finally literally had the courage to say, okay, I can't do this anymore. I was at my lowest point. I was fully in the suck and I was in the the thickness of the suck where I had to and I had no choice but to say, I need help. Yeah. And those are the three words that I said, I need help. And those three words would then be my mantra for literally the next, you know, six years of my healing. So much so that Oh, yeah. Was a new identity born? Absolutely. Did I dive into the depths of my healing journey and grief and just, you know, like fully letting myself go and and cry? And, you know, in the book, I kind of talk about even rituals around, you know, creating grief practices for yourself, whether it's a heartbreak or a job loss or just you're kind of you just know that you're evolving or transitioning out of something, maybe out of a funk or even a friendship or a betrayal, a deal that didn't go well, but that you're now starting to say, okay, the now what is a whole different version of you. And that was that very first time where I needed to say, oh, this is not just about that breakup. It's about all of the things that I was hiding under that rug that the rug got to be this high where I basically tripped over it and said, I can't deny this anymore. I can't deny that part. Yeah. What's key there is not bypassing the suck to get to know what. That's a big, big key here. And most people just want to go straight, especially after grief, which maybe you went into is, or I went a little bit is just going straight to a new identity to numb the suck mm. to, for me, it was also achievement, like doing things to building this. That was my thing of like avoiding it. And then the suck comes. And then you're like forced to say, okay, now I really have to change new perspective, healthier. But going back, going back to the grief, how does that still show up for you now? Oof, wow. I feel like it just, it just, it doesn't go away. Uh-huh. You know, it'll come out in, I think people that you meet sometimes who either remind me of my, one of my parents or yeah. even, you know, my brother, he would have been, he would have been 39 this year, actually probably about a week ago. And it's interesting you know, I've, I have, you know, very, really deep male friendships and two male friendships that I am so grateful for. Their birthdays happen to be in between my brother's birthday, my brother DJ's birthday. And I feel like I somehow, you know, and they have the same temperament as my brother. We have the same jokes as my brother used to have. So it was, it's very real, but, but yeah, the grief will come out you know, many times, especially in the beginning when I, when I met each of them in, you know, their different states and it's, and it's like, okay, to honor that part, because many times I feel like, um, you know, we can deny it and we can say, oh, okay, it's just a coincidence or, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm feeling that, but I'm going to squash it down with something else. And I think to, you know, what I like to say is to kind of give reverence to it and even honor that. And sometimes it's as simple as just saying it. It's simple as saying it out loud or, or simple as, as just like acknowledging it. And, and the first time where I told actually both of these friends, they're not related, but I said, you know, you're, you totally remind me of my brother. And like, we just had a cry together and it was like, oh, and so to be able to have that vulnerability and just share 
where you're coming from with that, you know, fine. In this case, this was somebody that reminded me of my brother. Maybe it's somebody that reminds you of a mentor or maybe even a friend that you had and that relationship didn't go well for whatever reason. But I think, you know, grief comes in waves and and I remember in the very beginning uh, when I had lost my father because I was so close to him. I, you know, like every, you know, older brown Indian dad or, or uncle or, or man that I would come across, I'd, I'd be like, oh, wow, yeah, like another wisdom gem or or maybe, you know, my dad's kind of sending another messenger out, you know, just for that message. Uh, and and I, I definitely believe in those angels, but I think that, you know, the grief can also come in, you know, in, in, in just in different in forms of different people. Yeah. When you're when you're grieving, when people are grieving, theme in the book was the threat of a fall while we're rising. So when we're in a space where we're feel like we're healing, we're progressing, I think many of us can get into a pattern of when that grief inevitably co- comes back a little bit, we feel like we can't go there because we were so attached to this new identity of being liberated and, and risen. So it's, it's good to hear from an expert like you that no matter where you are, that you always have to give space for those moments of grief or resurfacing uh, pain. But this is the next question. How can we give room for that resurfacing trauma, grief, or pain and not go back to the original pattern that, that broke us in the first place? Mm. Okay. So, yeah, I love the way that you're framing this question because I think it's so important, you know, kind of piggybacking on what you just said you know, the reason why even the book is called That Sucked, Now What? Not This Sucks, Now What? Mm -hmm. Is because, well, it's the past tense. That sucked. We're honoring what didn't go well. We're honoring the loss. We're honoring the grief. We're honoring this new path that we're on. And the now what is going to be sometimes slow. It's going to take its time. Sometimes it might not, it might be wobbly. Sometimes we've got, you know, we have a, a different pep in our step. And sometimes that now what's going to actually trigger another fall. You know, one of the frameworks that I talk about in the book that you're referring to is that fly forward framework. And yes, it starts with that fall. And also, you know, in order to not fully get stuck, which is what I call getting stuck in the suck, is you know, there's two camps of people. The first camp of people is they have exposed themselves to a little bit of growth work, a little bit of personal growth development, you know, kind of higher thinking thoughts and and higher frequency emotions. So when something like a fall happens, there is no space. They're like, nope, I should know better. I should know better. So therefore, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to actually be grateful for this. Instead of giving room and presence for, well, okay, let's allow ourselves to feel. Let's allow ourselves to actually feel, well, what's coming up? Yeah, I'm feeling jealousy. I'm feeling rage. I'm feeling angry. I can't believe that person triggered me. But then we actually judge ourselves for saying, well, I thought I've worked on this wound. Why am I still getting triggered by that same person? And then we're judging that Mm -hmm. as well. And so that's where we're perpetually then getting stuck. Yeah. And that sucked versus kind of in the second camp where we can say, okay, well, there goes that jealousy again. Ooh, okay. That person's triggering me in this way. I'm getting angry, man. You know, like the way that that person said something, I don't know why it's like rubbing me the wrong way. We f- have that awareness and what I call, you know, in the second part of the book, our radical, radical self-awareness and our radical self-awareness is really 
this, it's a muscle. It's, it's literally an art of cultivating, okay, what feels right and, and, and what doesn't. Because even though we've done some of this work and done some of this healing, it's okay to actually allow ourselves to feel. What happens is when we still go into the first camp and we get stuck in that and that becomes our identity where it's like, oh man, nothing ever good happens to me because being in the victim mentality is literally, it feels good. It feels addicting. We get attention for it. Or even, you know, in that resentment bubble, it feels good to be mad at somebody else, right? Instead of taking that personal responsibility. Whereas in the second camp, we kind of are saying, well, actually, all right, I'm going to allow this feeling to persist for 10 seconds. Maybe if I didn't get that deal or that deal didn't go through, all right, I can allow myself to sit in the suck for a day, a weekend. I'm not going to let it go past X. And, you know, we can be the judge of that. We can be the creator for that. You know, I have... Um, you know, there's tools in the book where either, you know, set a timer for two minutes Mm -hmm. to allow yourself to really feel that suck or set a timer for 10 minutes to allow yourself to fully grieve what didn't go well. Or maybe if it's that bad that, you know, you worked on this project for months or even years and it didn't go through or it just went bust, allow yourself that weekend. And, and again, you know, we don't have to get stuck because we're actually in the driver's seat. We're in that control of saying, okay, here's my container. And while I have so many other things going on, I'm going to create this container, kind of like what we would do to celebrate a birthday or, you know, celebrate the success of something. Can we also give reverence and honor to something that didn't go well and sit in the suck, but, you know, not for too long? Because, you know, you're giving it that container. So one day, two days, um, a weekend, an hour, five minutes. Great. Yeah, what you're addressing is duality, the sense of which human beings really struggle with. It's holding two, space for two things at the same time, which is um, feeling a negative emotion or something wrong going on in your life somatically, while also accepting that, you know, you're at work or you're with your family, with your kids. And having that space to accept both truths, why do you think it's so difficult for people to feel sad while doing what they have to do? Why is it such a hard thing to do for people? And how can people get better at it? Oh, because we're not taught to do that. You know, like society says, all right, suck it up. Let's go. Let's move on. You know, I think even for guys, man up. Yeah. Let's go. I mean, even for me, you know, uh, being just growing up with immigrant parents and growing up with a culture where, you know, you're lauded by your achievements, you're lauded by the good grades, you're lauded by, uh, you know, all of the, the awards that you get and all of those things. When I was growing up, I was, you know, neither you're resilient, you're strong, strong girls don't cry, big girls don't cry. So then what do we do? Okay. Anytime if I'm being validated by all of my good performing or um, the fact that I can, wow, she's holding it all together, even after all these losses, well, what am I going to make meaning in my head? Well, that, oh, okay, that, that, that being good is, I mean, being good and being strong is the most noble thing. I mean, even as warriors, right? You know, like going into battle, right? The, the most 
noble warrior that didn't show emotion was the strongest, deserved the most respect. And you see this kind of like in the military sessions and 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 or like the military community and even in movies. Yet the person who's showing, you know, a little sign of quote unquote weakness or emotion is lauded as as weak. We're just not given that space. Or God forbid, you know, if the mom lashes out in the parking lot or gets, you know, into a altercation, she's she's known as like the crazy bitch. Yeah. And the guy who loses his 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 shit at somebody, he's he's the one with the anger problem. So where is this space for us to allow ourselves? And I'm not saying to release it on other people. There's definitely healthy ways to release emotion. And, you know, I definitely talk about it in the book. One of the ways that we can start doing this and actually allowing ourselves to feel the duality, right? I talk about it in, you know, part three of the book where when we are rising, it's totally normal, especially rising out of a breakup or coming out of something completely difficult and challenging and starting to create a new walk with that. Well, the first thing you're probably going to feel is, ooh, okay, um, I'm, I'm open. Like, I have nowhere else to go. Like, I've hit rock bottom. I can only go up from here, right? So you're going to feel open, but your heart is probably also going to feel skeptical. Mm-hmm. You're going to say, ooh, I don't know. This might not work for me, this thing. Yeah, it might, might have worked for my friends, but I don't know. I'm here. So it's like we're open, but then we're also skeptical, right? So those duality, the feelings of both opposite emotions can actually exist. All right. Well, I'm going to say yes to this thing. Yet, I don't know if I don't know if I could trust that person. Well, we're saying we're curious, but we're also reserved. Same complexity in our emotion. And one of the things that, you know, I talk about in the book is called your bounce factor, how to actually, you know, strengthen your bounce factor, how to cultivate this idea of resiliency that I kind of talk about in a way where, yeah, let's bounce. Let's not be rigid. And when we go into the Latin root word of resilience, it doesn't mean strong. It doesn't mean mental toughness like what, you know, everyone says it is, the Latin root is actually resilier, which means to bounce. And so there are four pillars in order to actually learn how to bounce. And the first one, and this is what we're actually talking about is, well, let's make peace with our upbringing. Let's look into and maybe even look back and see, well, how were we raised? Were we raised with the idea that emotions were a good thing? Like, were you actually praised for being a tough kid growing up or being that that person that didn't show emotion and, you know, was always like the protector, was always the provider. Well, okay, well, what if you were the opposite of that? What would that feel like? What would that mean? Because for many years, I thought I couldn't show emotion because I thought that meant that I was broken until I shared with you, until I couldn't hide it anymore. So one of the ways to do this is let's start building our bounce factor. Let's start building this new muscle that is going to be completely different. It is going to feel a little wonky and wobbly because we're not, we're not used to operating this way. One of the ways to do that is, well, let's see, what were we taught? Like, let's go back into memory lane and see how did that actually shape some of the relationships that we have in our lives And did that lead to a breakup? Was it because I wasn't emotionally available? Was it because I was trying to, you know, share my emotions and 
another person couldn't hold it because they were also dealing with their pain. You know, so again, we heal the most in relationship, yeah. right? Whether it's, you know, family members, bosses, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to meet people that is going to bring out the the stuff, what I like to call the crud of what we still need to heal. Mm -hmm. And many times if we haven't already worked through it, well, this is that opportunity that we can actually go deeper in that so we can start inviting the anxiety to live with the joy, the grief to live with the excitement, the happiness to live with the sadness yeah. but it it's it takes intention and it actually takes compassion for ourselves because yeah. we're not going to get it right the first time or the second time yeah i think what's important in all this especially for me in my journey is learning to feel without the stories of the past mm. it's a big one for me uh, like if you have a trigger and you notice your brain the i call it the ego's resistance like resisting the sensation through protective thoughts yeah and it always thoughts me childhood or things like that i've learned that to truly like bypass the emotion, not bypass, but to, to allow it to run through you, you have to try your best to feel it without without entertaining the protective thoughts, which is really, I, I say it to most people and they're like, what, what the hell are you talking about, man? We're, so maybe you can go into what's the difference between feeling something and then like feeling while entertaining all the thoughts from the past that, that were designed to not make you feel it. Like, oh. What's the difference in those two and why should we focus on, on this one versus the other? Yeah. So the, in, in what you're actually saying, it's, it's, you know, it's our emotional body and our mental body. Our mental body is all of the thoughts that we have ruminating in our head. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, you know, we basically, you know, get a email, a text message from a friend, let's just say, all right, your last day is tomorrow. Or, you know, this person screwed up a big project and oh my gosh, did you get so angry because you worked on it so hard for a really long time? Well, imagine this, you're behind your desk, you're sitting down and or you're, you know, on your couch, whatever, you have your phone, you get this text or you have your email, you know, your, your computer, you're literally behind your desk and that worst case thing comes true. Yeah. And so what is the first sensation that happens? Oh crap, man. You know, like we start ruminating, we start thinking, I can't believe I trusted that person. I can't believe that person cheated on me or whatever, you know, done me wrong, all of these things. So all of these emotions in our head, these thoughts are running through our mind and we're going into our spiral. Sometimes we go into that victim spiral thinking like, why me? Why is this happening again? I thought I did this. Or we get really angry. We get frustrated. We get furious or anxiety comes in. Like it's all of these emotions. So what do we tend to do? Well, we start thinking about it in our our, our body. Our body starts to tense up. Because what are we doing? We're resisting it. We're resisting the, the the emotions. We're we're like, no, I shouldn't feel this. I shouldn't feel this. I shouldn't feel this. But I'm actually feeling this. I'm actually feeling this. So your higher self is kind of saying, no, no, allow it. If you're if you're actually allowing yourself the humanity of feeling that, but your higher self is also probably saying, no, I have to control this. I have to control this. Oh my gosh! But at the same time, the whole mix of this alchemy is going on while your body. And your emotional body is actually showing you what you're actually doing. Yeah. You and, and some of us listening to this or watching this might say, you know what, actually, yeah, when something like that's happened, I do clench my fist. And I do, you know, or if I'm in the middle of a boardroom meeting and I'm in, in between and I'm seeing all my coworkers, I can't 
react how I would at home. So I'm clenching my fists. I'm, you know, putting my hands on my legs, trying to hold myself together to be composed or, you know, maybe even noticing that I'm, you know, clenching my jaws. I'm getting a tension headache. But what we're doing is we're just sitting there. We're sitting there instead of allowing ourselves to release what's the pressure that's happening in our head of this pressure cooker to kind of let the steam go. And we're not doing anything about it. We just think, okay, let me just go swipe to numb the pain. Because I, in that moment, need to choose a a better feeling because I shouldn't act that way. Instead of actually saying, oh, okay, I know, I I see what's happening here. Okay, I'm getting triggered again. Oh, wow, that, yeah, that really, that really fucking sucked. I didn't get that thing. And even in the act, and I go into like, you know, five to six steps on how to actually embrace the suck. The first step is acknowledging it. And maybe we have an anchor. And the first anchor that you're saying is, if you've never practiced this work before, to get yourself from out of your head and into your body, it is to actually say, well, all right, that sucked. I can't change the past. I can't do anything about it, but that sucked. The second step is literally honoring yourself, putting your hand over your heart. You know, there are studies that say, well, when we were five, six, seven, when we were young, when we came back from a bad day of school, all we wanted was the embrace of our caretaker. We ran home to mom or dad or aunt, uncle, whomever was taking care of us. We wanted that embrace. Well, in that moment, you can't go run to mom, dad. You can be your own savior there and you can actually put your hand over your heart and say, I got this. I got this. This is tough right now. What this physical sensation does is it moves you from your mental body to your emotional body, to your physical body to say, I got you. It also actually starts to, you know, work your good emotion, mm-hmm. like the good juju of oxytocin and all it, these it, other. It releases re- no more resistance. The resistance is gone. It's it's gone because you're yeah. not trying to control it. You're actually, you're welcoming it. You're saying, oh, wow. All right, I got you. This is it. Yeah. And it also releases your central nervous system. You got your nervous system because you're like, oh, yeah, I can, I'm actually breathing. Because typically when you get an email like that or a text message like that, we stop breathing. Or we start breathing shallowly. And then we're in our head again, ruminating. So I'm allowing you to actually, well, anchor the suck, embrace the suck, feel the suck. And actually then maybe you want to breathe into it, whatever tool you want to do after that to actually transform the suck or sometimes even sit in the suck. Yeah. In those moments, I like to tell myself, how fast can I return to objective reality? Mm. That's what I try to think. Both externally and internally like um if uh, you know let's say you get romantically rejected right for me it's like i did that happened and all the the thoughts of control being like no i didn't she did this and you don't know her it's like no it happened right that's one two it's what's true objectively true in my body that i'm resisting it's a uh, fear abandonment whatever it may be is like externally and internally what's true what's real and we have a hard time accepting both those things and what counterintuitively the faster we accept those things the faster we can return to homeostasis which what i appreciate in your book was that realness was that there's no sugarcoating it you have to accept what is like you, you truly have to accept what is which in this world 
we can, you know, bypass a lot. So what's some of the dangers of, of bypassing, spiritual bypassing, all that kind of stuff to forget about what's actually real? So I would say, you know, the, the first thing that most people do is, well, because it's, let's just call the elephant out in the room. It's hard to sit in it, especially if, you know, and, and, and what I'm even talking about is for folks who tend to spiritually bypass, this is for people who, you know, in kind of our community, you're open or exposed to a certain amount of work. You've done retreats or you know better, you've cultivated this RSA, your radical self-awareness. So you're like, actually, I should know better. I shouldn't do this. Or this was something that happened before. And wow, the same thing is happening again. Actually, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. I got this. That's yeah. these are all examples of bypassing. Well, actually, no, you're you're not okay because that did actually happen. You're yeah. denying the fact that it did happen. No, no, I I'm I'm cool. I'm okay. I'm, I I got it. Okay, it's it's cool. But let's dig into it. How did that actually make you feel? And this is actually one of even you know very simple journal prompt exercise to even ask yourself. In whatever that didn't go your way, whether it was a snub from a friend or a rejection yeah. from someone, yeah, that still sucked. And to even just acknowledge that in that suck. And here's the thing. When we bypass, what we start to do is we start to tell ourselves, okay, yeah, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. We go on this we're good train until we're actually not. We're actually not. We burst. Yeah. We bust. We bust, we burn out. You know, it's it's kind of like what I did in my in my twenties. I'm like, no, no, I got this. I got this. I had that chip on my shoulder. I've I, I I did a little bit of the therapy, even though, you know, the therapy was subscribed by, you know, teachers who were really afraid that something was going to happen because we I was, I was so young. Yeah. And then getting into my twenties thinking that like, okay, I can I can be that dentist and 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 and, and take care of my health and nothing ever is gonna you know, happen bad, right? Until I got into this relationship. And I think that the dangers of bypassing is we're literally allowing the same kinds of experiences to roll over into another person, into another circumstance, into another setback until we actually look at it and say, oh, okay, wow, I'm actually not okay with rage. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually not okay with, with jealousy. Because I'm attracting the same kinds of people that are going to spark that feeling and emotion of jealousy or rejection or, you know, whatever the emotion is that we're denying or that we're pretending to be okay with. And I remember this so vividly, you know, when I talk about this, this particular story in the book around me, you know, um, becoming a mom for the first time. And, you know, I got married, you know, found the co-pilot of my life, did all the things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I entered the foray of motherhood and literally going into postpartum depression was so real for me. I was like, where is this anger coming from? I've never seen it, but I literally, you know, kind of had a flashback to when I was a teenager, when I first had like the doctors coming in the room telling me that my dad had, you know, stage four lung cancer. I was about, you know, 18 years old, but this was after losing my mom and my brother. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I couldn't get angry. 
And I just remember being so help, like, like helpless because I just delivered my son and here I am supposed to be so happy, but I just felt all the pings of anger. And that was like coming literally through my body. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is this like unresolved stuff, this like rage that was coming up from where it was not processed. Even though I thought I had like gone through all the work, did all the retreats, all of the things, you know, it was just coming up in another way. So when it's real, when we say that cliche, what we resist then persists. And that is the danger of bypassing what, you know, we don't feel, we don't heal. That's the danger of bypassing. And it'll just start to show up in different ways. And it'll start to spill over in different, in different aspects of our life. Yeah. A new suck has the beautiful ability to invite you to release the past sucks. Yeah. It's, it's true. And it feels like the last thing you want to do in that moment is because, you know, people on the path, I can get cocky. I can be like, I've done this shit. I've done the trauma releases. I did, you know, three months long of, of psychedelic releases. I've done it, right? And then, of course, the wrong trigger, the wrong moment, it, it all comes back. And I think it's important. A lot, of, a lot of people listening to this are probably in the industry, self-help coaching and wanting to do it. But you have to remember that there's still that human in you. Uh, so being a, a, a big coach and su- successful, how do you ride that line between being like, I'm the coach, but I'm also a human? Is it ever difficult? How do you, do you ever judge yourself in moments like that? Or? Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. And, and, and I love that you're asking this question because I think for, you know, this audience, like you all know what to do. The thing is, is like, we're human. We're still going to have fuck ups. We're yeah. still going to have blow ups. We're still writing this journey, whatever we haven't processed. And, you know, we can dive into all of the self-help books. The thing is, is I did not want to call this book even fly forward. You know, that's the third part of my book. That was like what my publishers wanted to name it to make it so quintessential. It's so much better. It's way better. Self-help. But I wanted this to meet people where they were at, to give people permission to actually fight the elephant in the room saying, okay, what did suck? Yeah, that did did suck. And I'm, I'm, I'm honoring it. And we're... I'm giving you permission to actually say, yeah, that fucking sucked. Like I'm human. I'm also on the journey. I'm also doing the work. I was just, you know, I was just doing a book signing yesterday at um, one of the, you know, premier like bookstores here in Austin. And somebody did ask like, what was the most challenging, you know, process for you in writing this book? And I said, well, yeah, like the, the vulnerability hangover. Cause I'm like, oh boy, did I just share too much? But I think that, you know, I think many times we, our ego starts to say, okay, I know this. Yes, I've done the work here. So I would just invite you for avid, you know, learners here in this space to be like, where is your ego actually protecting you right now? Or yes, you probably know better, but we don't have to judge that emotion that's coming up. That's valid and real. So let it breathe. Give it the space that it needs. Do, you know, do those rituals that you know how to do. Go for a walk. Go scream it out loud. Do the traumatic processing. Like, take your flavor and pick. Shake it out. You know, journal it out. Say it out loud. But at least honor whatever that emotion is. Oh, yeah, I'm in my head again. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm actually feeling the anxiety that's coming up. And I'm trying to deny it but it's actually here right now. And I try to be, you know, 
like I think why people are really loving this book so much is because in between that sucked where it is that victim mode and the now what which most of our audience will go directly to the now what yeah. that's the victor mode you know the the hero mode I'm actually asking you to live in between the vulnerability mode to actually say yeah bro I'm at, you know I'm 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 like in it right now or love like you know this is it this is like a struggle for me and and I think when we're actually coming from a place of honesty coming from a place of you know yes authenticity but real true radical honesty and being unapologetic in saying well this is where I am right now because in we have to also take you know precedence of like what season and stage are you in right now like I just shared again yesterday, I was like, yeah, it, it's been tough for me to actually go through, you know, mom guilt uh, around leaving my kids, even though, you know, they're so small, they're so, you know, they're so tiny, while knowing that I also, you know, like had lost my mom and she was working a lot too. So that still comes up for me. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, where writing that line as a coach, as a teacher, you know, as somebody that speaks as well on this, I'm such a big advocate of letting people in to your world because they're going to give you so much more respect and you're giving them permission to be like, actually, yeah, he's just human. Mm -hmm. I'll just, you know, maybe some days we have a bad day and that's okay, but we can get up and have compassion for ourselves to say tomorrow's going to be a different day. And all right, like, let's ride this. What's the, what do you think is the line between over, if there ever is a thing, over feeling, overdoing it and, and not doing it. Because I've noticed that, which is hard to, it's hard to create that line. For example, like sensing an emotion that's even resisting, right? It's important to feel that. What if that's been an addiction to like always being in that zone? So how do you actually craft that line between, should I really dive into this and be all about it? Or in this moment, is it better to just say, you know what, I may be past diving into this so deep so what's that line and how do you know where the line is oh yeah so this is this is where the rsa comes in this is where you know like in the second part of the book we talk about you know i talked about the the upbringing like making peace with that but then it's getting into the second part which is your emotional capacity to feel so you know for some of us that is all right allowing ourselves to feel the opposite emotion right if we're overly optimistic if we're overly the ones that are you know looking for the the next thing the next step and maybe you know that you probably have a negative Nancy in your corner that's like always negative. You know, everything bad is always happening to them. You probably don't even want them in your circle. You're like purging out of that friendship. But you know that was somebody that was your ride or die like five years ago, but nothing seems to ever be going right with them. You know that that person is probably addicted to their suck. Yeah. And you know that person is probably like no matter what you try to inspire them, no matter what you try to send them a book and they're just like, no, nah, man, this is not going to work for me. Okay, well, you know, that person, like they, if they were open to it, you know, that person could actually then start to shift and change and say, hey, if they were building their emotional capacity to feel like how good would it feel to, 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 to embark on the feeling of gratitude and, you know, acknowledging for them for that gratitude? Well, who knows if they're ever going to make it there, mm -hmm. but for somebody like yourself, who's on the opposite side of that that's looking at the overly optimistic state 
well, can you actually feel the opposite? That's where that duality comes in again. And knowing and jumping into the RSA, your radical self-awareness, that's where we can actually say, oh, okay, if my MO is normally thinking that, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that thing again. I'm actually picking that, that, you know, that, that, that trade again. I don't want to feel this, like I'm feeling this resistance because you know that your body starts to react and you feel like the puffiness in your chest and you're kind of like, oh, something is happening. Well, you know that there is, there's that invitation for you. Our body sends us these signals, right? It's like when we touch a hot pan, we know it's freaking hot because if we keep holding it, we're going to burn our, you know, we're going to burn our hands. So our body sends us signals in terms of, well, can we actually, can we honor the puffiness in our chest or the knots in our stomach or, you know, the clenching of our jaws? And that takes, you know, a certain level of awareness. And to know that, well, are we, are we actually addicted to this? I think it's, it's definitely a sense of, all right, have I, because many times when we're constantly in our head thinking about this, we can overanalyze and we can overjudge ourselves and we can, you know, constantly think, okay, am I doing too much? And we're in our minds around it, but our body's not going to, you know, it's like the, you know, the, the, the research where, um, you know, they've, they've done where they've taken like different aspects of the body where we're holding different emotions. Yeah our body's not going to lie to us, mm -hmm. right? Because that's the physiology of where anxiety lives, right? And if we're constantly in that, you know, flight, fight, or freeze mode, try to say that three times, uh, you know, we're going to be kind of like reactive and we're going to be kind of like up in arms. So I think it's our, you know, our ability to actually lean into it ourselves and say, okay, I've actually been spending too much time here. Like, what's the opposite of that? Yeah. And that's that. That's a practice. Yeah. And that doesn't come overnight. That takes, you know, it takes time. And what's hard about that too is, I was just talking to my sister about this, where she's recently embarking on the, on the path and she's um, progressed a lot. And she's at a spot now where she called me and she said, sorry if I'm spilling your beans, but she was saying that um, like the darkest thoughts she used to have back in the original state we're flying back at her mm -hmm. which to me shows that no matter how we are how far we are outside our, our comfort zone or what we not comfort like our the zone we're used to the more that that zone is going to call out for you to come back so you could be really really ahead and out of nowhere you have these thoughts that are just whoa yeah where the hell did that come from yeah. so how can you navigate that frustration when or like handling those like day one thoughts yeah. Like those day one, like super traumatic, heavy thoughts when you're so far away, it, it's tough. And I think that's actually what brings people back all the way. So do you, do you still deal with those thoughts every now and then from the beginning? Oh, my gosh. How, how do you handle them? Yeah. I, again, I'll, giving it space to breathe. What does, that, what does that look like? So giving it space to breathe. So, so I, you know, the other day I was just dealing with you know, with, with mom guilt. Mm -hmm. So let's, let, let's take that. And I think, you know, even, even this idea of, of, oh, wow, I'm feeling guilty for not, for not being there for, let's just say for whomever, for my family or for even friends, because I've been on a lot of interviews. I've had to travel, have to stay up late, even having guilt for not even being there for my partner. Right. And I think for a lot of listeners, they could probably relate to that, right. Having something big happen and you're super excited about that but at the end of the day you're kind of like oh man I feel like I'm letting somebody else down so 
I could actually, you know, judge it and say, oh, oh, wow. Like, I thought we'd been through this. Like, you know, and, and my higher self actually knows, well, I would never want my kids to, you know, feel guilty for, for, for doing and living their best life when they get older. Like I, and my parents always, you know, from like the beginning, they always suggested that fine. It was like education first, but it was never a question, right. To focus on whatever we wanted to do. I mean, granted it had to be like doctor, dentist, lawyer, engineer, and that's a different story. Uh, but I think that looping back into, you know, again, what your higher self is thinking like, oh yeah, that's right. I would totally want my kids to live for themselves. Like I would never want them to say no to an opportunity just because they thought mom was going to feel guilty about it, you know? So then why am I feeling this guilt for me trying to, you know, expand and create and, and have this impact as well? Is there something else? So then I'll go into my processing, my journaling, which is, okay, is this feeling, is this emotion true? Am I actually not being there? Am I actually letting somebody else down? What's fact and what's living in my head? Because many times we obviously are the worst critics of ourselves and we go into our spiral super fast and it's quick. And so then it's, you know, either, you know, most of us are either orators where we need to talk it out loud and some of us need to process via journaling, right? And which is why journaling is such a big thing because it activates a different part of our brain. And it, this is not the one that's like, you know, um, this is more of a rest and digest activity, which is, which we're not again, judging ourselves. It's just allowing ourselves to write down whatever it is on paper. And so it's a cathartic act. It's an act of, all right, finding that grace. But again, it's the component of compassion. And it's very easy to get caught up in our rumination. It's so easy to get caught up in like, but I'm doing that thing again. And I, I, I don't know. And it's in, 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 and if we go into that dark hole and if we don't have a way of, you know, going back, well, let's look at some of the tools. And in the book, I talk about a ton of different tools. Um, and this is that second pillar of, you know, the bounce factor. It's looking at our current environment. And if our current environment is, you know, are we exposing ourselves to good stress? And when we talk about good stress, it's actually sometimes we have to do the opposite. So, all right, we said we've done this work, but if I'm constantly ruminating at my bad thoughts and these thoughts are getting really dark and really heavy, and I know that I can't sort this out myself, the journaling is not taking me out. I've given myself processing. I still have my guides, my healers, you know, my, uh, my body workers my, you know, my whole arena of support system, my therapist, my coaches that I can call on professional help to actually help me get out of that suck. Yeah. And I think many times, you know, once we've done a certain level of work, we think, oh, we're past that. No, I can figure this out on my own. And that's where the ego comes in. That's where we then get stuck. So I would actually invite somebody to, yes, do all these processes. And it starts with first that self-reflection. And it starts with first like, okay, is that really true? Do you really think that about yourself? Did that really happen? All right, well, when did that happen? Like <clears throat> list out the facts of that because we've got to separate the fact of, did you really let that person down? Or is this in our mind? 
And then when we're rationalizing that, well, how are we actually feeling it? How are we feeling it in our body? Where is that coming from? But if we don't have that pillar of support where we have, you know, that professional help or even what I like to call our soul support posse. And that soul support posse could look like, you know, healers and even friends that we could look at and and ask, hey, you know, what have you noticed in me? And or like, you know, I just feel like I need to just vent. Do you have five minutes? You know, and this has got to be somebody that's trusted, that like you know that they're not going to judge you in this way, that they can actually see you and witness you and observe you and even, you know, hold you while you process that funk. I mean, it's easy to do it by yourself, but there are going to be some of you that's like, well, maybe I could call a friend and to, you know, to allow other people also in that space. So, um, you know, there's a whole list of how we can actually create and even look at, well, where are we inviting good stress? So if you're somebody to process on your own, go, go, go get a buddy. And, and, and invite that buddy and say, hey, like, I'd love to, you know, dive in with you. Of course, they've got to be on the same, like, like-minded playing field. If you're somebody that, like, resists, um, you know, like, sitting in cold showers or doing a cold plunge, well, all right, let's shake that perspective and let's see what that brings up. If you're somebody that's, like, usually does, you know, sitting in meditation for 10 minutes, 20 minutes silently, well, let's, what about some chanting? meditation what what can that do because as we know chanting also opens up our throat chakra it activates our vagus nerve our vagus nerve helps with recalibrating our nervous system so there's a whole bunch of these different practices also in the book that actually shifts us because it's also when we're doing the work for a really long time we know all of these tools well, we've got to shake the tool belt a little bit. Yeah. We've got to give it a break and kind of recycle some of them so that it can actually bring up new perspective because I think that's the big thing. We get stuck in certain ways of doing things and then we are more likely to then relapse into some of our old patterns. But all we need to do is kind of like, you know, shake out our little tool belt, look at our current environment and see, Oh, okay. Where am I being complacent? Oh, have I, ha, has it actually been two years since I gone to see that therapist or had a session with yeah. that coach? I think probably it's time for a refresh. Yeah. I like to think of what's the complete opposite of what I've been doing right now. It sounds simple, but it, it really is true. Like if it's a coping mechanism or, you know, if it's an instinct to go on social media or do something to numb, I'm always like, what's the complete opposite of I could do right now? It could be something weird like dancing or, or singing and just truly just getting out of like picking yourself up with love and being you know like you're, you're not doing the shit anymore um you're just really not why is that so it's crazy that that complete opposite for some people could just be asking for help that it, it's so counterintuitive for so many people's ways to say hey i need help why is that like it, at its core asking for help should be comfort zone it should be what we're, we're wired and, and nurtured and raised to do why do you think it's become the opposite of that? Ugh. Why is it why is it actually like the the danger zone for someone to ask for help? I even still see it in in myself these days, uh, getting cocky and stuff, but we'll unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. So let's unpack it. I mean, I think, well, first and foremost, it's definitely again, we should know better. And, yeah. you know, it's it's definitely again like, oh, okay, well, what were we told? Like you, you know, figure it out. Like you've got all the solutions, you know, what, 
what's your solution, right? Like how many of us have been told, like, figure it out. And many times, again, what does our society like um, favor? It's favoring, all right, we're going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it, not you. And so we take it upon ourselves because it's noble. We're, you know, we're, 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 we're thought of as warriors when we can rise above and against all odds. And I didn't have any help in this. Well, no, but what if you ask for help? Well, asking for help then is that sign of weakness. And it's that sign of, oh, you're broken. So it's also accepting you're, you're broken. Which yeah. I think is part of it. Yeah, it's it's accepting that. Yeah, it's accepting that you're broken, that you couldn't do it on your own, and you know it's the complete opposite of how most of us were raised, and that's why it's the hardest thing to do, but the most liberating, because you know if you've ever thought of that time where you actually said, "Hey, like I need your help," most people would actually say, "Absolutely, yes." Like, what can I do for you? Because most people just want to be there to support you. And if they don't, not the one for you. And then they're not the, yeah, and then they're not the one for you. You know, this reminds me of like this time where uh, when I actually was, man, I I had so much ego driving me and I was, I had just told, you know, um, I had had packed up everything and, and I left for my new life after my divorce. And I remember the first day and mind you, you know, not even 30 years old, I had this big team and I was going into my office. I had all of this like stuff for my home packed up in my fancy, you know, SUV, which I literally owned the, you know, the, 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 the name, my name was on that door, but I was so scared to go into that door. There's the first day that I would be showing my face to my team. And I remember I was like so anxious. I was so nervous. I didn't know what was going to happen. I felt like I wanted to cancel patients. I was a cosmetic dentist. And so I wanted to cancel patients. I just wanted to cancel the day, but I couldn't already because I was like, all right, because Nita in the past was like, all right, she's got this. She's going to push through it like she always does. This is not going to phase her. And so I get there and I'm like working on, you know, this patient and I, and, and I remember it was a very busy day. So if you imagine you ever go to the dentist, like, you know, people's got, you know, suction in their mouth, all the chairs are, the, the room is filled, the waiting room is filled. We had about four chairs and basically I just felt like, you know, I couldn't hold it in anymore. And I start, tears just were like coming down my face and this poor, you know, this, this poor patient, like I had like my mask on my goggles on you. So you couldn't really see, but I just said, I stood up and I like, you know, I, I talked on the, you know, there, we have like a little, uh, intercom and I said, everyone in the break room right now. And you could just hear my voice chuckling. And I was so nervous to share this, but I said, listen, guys, I'm going through a terrible breakup. I just left my house. I got to figure out where I'm going to stay. I don't even know. Like, and I just broke down, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was just like, it was everything that I was holding in. I didn't want to, I didn't want my team to, you know, most of these people were older than me. You know, I already had a chip on my shoulder of, of being such a young, you know, dentist and all these things. And I'm like, I just felt like a thousand bricks just like started you know, releasing as the words came out of my mouth. And literally the thing that I was so afraid of sharing, I'm going through a divorce. I'm going through this big breakup. I don't know where I'm going to live. And I even said, I said, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to keep this open for you guys. So if some of you need to figure out stuff for your families, like I get it, but like, I'm going to just need your help for the next few months as we kind of sort this out. So, you know, 
picking up shifts whenever like and then literally everyone in that room was like oh my god we got you like don't yeah. you worry what, what we're describing is a key difference is that you were completely owning your role in it you're saying i'm owning these emotions and people can actually react to that with respect and love but when people often express their emotions it's through blaming people in front of them or projecting things or being a victim so it's like you can do that and then people won't receive you well and then you think that oh i can't show emotions it's, it's not that it's exactly what you're saying is that if you're going to do it like like really own it and be vulnerable and don't put uh project expectations or or problems that they're doing it, it's their fault so what sounded, what sounded there was a complete ownership and that ownership was attractive and and freeing for them too because they probably could see it and be like oh you know now i actually have space in this environment to maybe say how i feel one day oh yeah well and also you know it's it's just it's liberating to see kind of you know and this is actually what changed uh for me and and literally began my trajectory of talking about compassionate leadership because it was coming from a place of all right, I'm not perfect. I'm going through my own shit too. Yeah. And we don't know what's going to happen, but you know, here's, here, here's where we're at in, in letting people in, you know, I think even I gave this talk, um, at Google, like a, literally a few years after that time where I never thought in a million years, I was a cosmetic dentist that I would get invited to, you know, talk about grit and resiliency at Google, their headquarters. But it was, you know, it was the same kind of thing. It was talking about how to how to be vulnerable in the workplace even. And I shared that story around this is the, the worst thing that was going on in my life that I was hiding. And how can, you know, many of us take some of this and and actually share whatever is going on, whether it's, listen, you know, we're probably not going to make our goal this month, but I just want you to know that like you guys are working really, really hard and, and being honest in that and, and actually, you know, not taking that away from anybody, but that's how people get closer. And that's how trust is built. That's how deeper connections are built. You know, it's different when, you know, you're hanging out with a friend and you're asking them, Hey, like what's really going on or what are you processing lately? And they're like, no, I'm, I'm cool. Everything's great. Versus, you know, you're, you're with a friend and you're actually like, yeah, this is the stuff that I'm working through right now this is what's been hard. This is what's been interesting. And here's where I'm at. You know, I think there's a different set of, um, you know, a friendship that could actually be birthed just because you've had this string of, you know, a shared experience and shared vulnerability there. Yeah. So we have to start wrapping up, unfortunately, but I wanted to ask one last question. I always try and give quick practical advice because people want to do these days. I don't want to do the, the longer, harder stuff. So yeah. let's, how, what's the quickest way someone can go from resisting their suck to accepting it? Just say that sucked. Now what? <laughs> you have that mantra or, you know, pick whatever mantra in my, my, in my darkest days, I even would say, okay, I'm brave. I'm brave. I'm brave. I'd put my hand over my heart and I would just recite that. So, you know, it could be a prayer. It could be a mantra. It could be something, but have that anchor that helps you acknowledge what is happening because the closer and faster that you can actually accept where you're at, that's going to help you. Great answer. Where can people find you at? I'm sure they'll want to 
look at all your stuff. So yeah, where can they find uh, you? Absolutely. Well, I hang out on IG at Meet the Bushin, and uh, you could do- definitely grab the book that sucked. Now what? Um, from Amazon, or you know, you could just even go to that sucked now what.com. We have tons of resources. It even comes with a free 44 page guidebook and even comes with a five day healing journey to actually alchemize a lot of uh, the suck moments. And it starts with day one healing, you know, our relationships. Amazing. Well, Nisa, thank you very much. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, this was so amazing. Thank you for having us. Yeah.